0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this very special, totally not pre-recorded episode. Absolutely not pre-recorded. <laughs> Man, did, Memorial Day edition of the RT Podcast, brought to you today by Blue Apron and Hymns up there. You can see their wonderful logos up there. I have two very special guests here with me today. I have Mr. Brian Brushwood hey, of yeah. Scam School and Mo- Modern Rogue. No, you said them both. Thank you. That's all I wanted. <laughs> like, say them both. Say them both. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a second, but I want to talk about because Scam School being such a huge entity and then pivoting and doing something entirely new is, you know, as you know, our uh, other guest here, is he Robert Cargill?
1: We know each other very
2: well, actually.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I might have been the one to—so uh, on Twitter, Scott Derrickson
2: uh, said something, and I responded to him, and Scott was like, uh, I don't know who you are, but you seem to be ha- followed by a lot of people. I guess I'll follow you. And I was like, well, if it helps, I, I think I'm responsible for getting Cargill to quit his day job. And, which eventually what led was to a day of- job, Cargill. <laughs> oh, I uh, well,
1: I mean, I was uh, a film cri- or before I was a professional film critic, I was a video restore clerk. Really? In fact, back in the day, there's a number of things, articles that I've written that you know we're, we're going to talk about this a little later. But there's a lot of articles that I wrote about. You know, oh, I was on the set of this film, and uh, I was at this junket, and I was at this bar, and and chatting with so and so actor, and. Everybody thought that's literally what I was doing for a living and then I would go back home and I would fly back to Austin and work at a video store And so for years I would tell these stories at the video store like what'd you do this weekend? Oh, well, you know, I was in uh, LA and I visited the set of this movie Rules of Attraction I was shooting and uh, and of and course, w-
2: Everybody just thinks
1: you're a liar. They thought I was full of shit. In fact, that was the thing is for years like <laughs> they people you were delusional <laughs> They thought I was they're like, yeah, whatever Cargill. Yeah Yeah, yeah, and then I walked like a couple years in uh, I, I walked up on one of the. The employees training uh, a newbie and saying, "Okay, so look, there's this guy here. His name's Cargill, um, and he's gonna. At some point, you're gonna work with him. And he's gonna tell you some crazy story about some celebrity that he knows and uh, about being out on some adventure. And just believe him because it turns out he hasn't actually lied to us yet. <laughs> uh, it was it was a very strange time. It was, I spent five years as a critic while also uh, working in video stores,
0: and now author, yeah, writer of Sea of Rust." author of the movie or screenwriter for Sinister. Uh And then also probably your best known work is you wrote the Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, Marvel's Doctor Strange. Which I got to talk about the path from going. Because I remember how I first met you. Cargill and I have such a weird story. Both you gentlemen are from Austin, which is another reason. And two gentlemen that I know from Austin have known for, I've known you for a really long time, Brian. Yeah. And Cargill, we have a really unique situation where, I actually had this with my girlfriend Ashley, this is going to make it sound weird, but, uh... (laughs) Oh, no, let's, let's get, let's get weird, we're on YouTube. (laughs) But, uh, Cargill and I have this overlapping Venn diagram of friends that's enormous, but we had never met each other before. Not quite, I had actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, back in your film review days... You were actually the very first person to ever review my one of my movies. Yeah. Oh, the wow. The first movie I made in college with Matt uh, was a movie called The Schedule. I'm curious if you even remember. I yeah, do. I do. And I do. reviewed it for uh, Ain't It Cool News. You were the independent, at that p- at that point in time, the independent film reviewer. Well, I, was,
1: I did what we called Indie Indie, which was, that was the first gig I got on was uh, uh, for the first year. What I did was literally Harry was, Harry Knowles was literally one of the most powerful people in Hollywood at that time, and he could make or break things right away. He saved two movies from going direct to video just by reviewing them, and the studio changed their mind and said, maybe we'll put this Pitch Black movie and this uh, Iron Giant
0: movie out in theaters anyway. Um, And give credit where credit is due. Uh, Harry Knowles, I I consider him to be the first successful blogger, going way back to the old days of the Internet. I mean, I used to go to the Ain't It Cool... News website when it was a gray background and a rainbow divider, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that was like 1994? 96. 96? uh, 96 is when they started. Yeah, and that was way ahead of the curve that he was doing this. It was just some like hardcore movie geek in Austin who was writing, and he got a lot of attention, and through that, got a lot of influence. And so what would happen is a bunch of filmmakers who
1: had made films but couldn't get them picked up, couldn't get them into festivals, what have you, would would just send them to Harry, and Mm -hmm. Harry would get, you know, boxes of this stuff every day and so I was essentially the clearinghouse for that. He would just call me up and be, Cargill, come over, I've got another box for you and I would just pick through all these VHSs and DVDs of these uh, homemade films sometimes. Sometimes homemade shot in backyards, sometimes films with real budgets that just couldn't get noticed and his rule was uh, only talk about the stuff you like. Like, this is not about destroying anyone's career. This is about finding these oddball things. and the diamonds in the rough. The diamonds in the rough that, that everyone else is neglecting. And as a result, I got a bunch of people into film festivals. I, I kickstarted a couple of careers. There's two particular filmmakers who um, were both about to give up when I wrote about their film. And Can you say who they are? Yeah, well, one of them I'm working with now, he's a producer named Daniel Noah. He worked as a screenwriter for a while, and now he's a producer with Elijah Wood over at SpectreVision. And uh, he's producing a film of mine. But so he actually had one of those things where he had made this film called 12. Um, nobody cared about it. Couldn't get anybody to pay attention. He had pretty much given up. And all of a sudden, his phone starts ringing one morning. And it's ringing off the hook. And he finally just crawls out of bed and answers the phone. And he's like, hello. And it's someone from uh, CIA. And says, hey, I'm looking for Daniel Noah. And he's like, well, this is, this is me. And he's like, well, um... Uh, uh, we would like to schedule a meeting to see 12 and talk to you about representation and, and, He's like, "Wait, how did you hear about 12? And he goes, "Well, we read about it on Ain't It Cool News, didn't you know?" And he's like, "It's on Ain't It Cool News." And he's like, "Oh, so we're the first people to get to you." So uh, from that point on, you know, he
0: uh, like he got. <laughs> you can almost hear the salivation. <laughs> and
1: nobody, nobody ended up picking up the movie, but people saw the movie, saw his talent, and said, "We're gonna, you know, we're gonna represent this guy." Started getting him gigs. He started doing uh, script work and rewrite work, and then he found out that he really loved producing. And so he and uh, became friends with Elijah Wood. Uh, and uh, they started a production company together, and they've been producing films and, and helping
2: distribute films. And- so around the same time that this happened, and this is why all of Austin is one big Venn diagram, yes. and it's the weirdest thing, because you hear about, like, you know, in the 1960s, there was a scene around whatever, and you're like, it's a, that, that's that's movie talk. That's not how it happens. But but I'll be damned if that's not exactly what happened in Austin, because while this was going on, I was performing, uh, the Asylum Street Spankers would do an all-acoustic uh, uh, blues and jazz show, and then they they would take a 15-minute break, and I would get up, and uh, escape from a stray jacket, eat fire, do uh, stick nails in my eyes, and then I would pass the hat. And it was during that time I was walking around and passing the hat and I looked, I was like, holy shit, that's Harry Knowles. And then uh, then it was there that they were also doing slam poetry that I met and connected with Ernie Klein and became friends with him. Ernie Klein, of course, wrote uh, Ready Player One. And uh, between then and there, I guess around the the early scam school days i mean obviously i've 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 been aware of all of rooster teeth stuff but i feel
0: like you and i only started hanging out like what 5 years ago yeah it seems like it yeah but it's one of those things too it's sometimes you can operate even in a small town like austin although i just read uh, that Austin is now the eleventh largest yep. city in the nation. That's wow. yeah. crazy to me. Mm. Although it, we were complaining how long it took us to get across town in traffic it, to it, get here. Well,
1: yeah. it was, but only because they're doing construction. I live five minutes from the studio, and it took me twenty minutes to get here. No, dude, that fucking
0: roundabout on Fifty First Street, and nobody knows yeah. how to use a roundabout. Right. They're all waiting for, like, four car lengths to appear so they can get their car in there. It's like, just go. You're pointed in that direction already. Just find a gap and go. That's actually
2: an article we just did on themonorogue.com is nice things America can't have
0: (laughs) because (laughs) because
1: we
2: can't handle it. Yeah, It's funny uh, what you were just talking about, though. um, I met Ernie
1: Klein uh, doing slam poetry. Like we he uh I I performed this terrible piece and uh it was it was so deep nerd for like nineteen ninety seven and uh there's only one person in this big audience laughing at it, and that guy comes up afterwards and pats me on the back and goes, They just didn't get it, man, but but you did a good job. And then he goes on stage and it's Ernie Klein he fucking blows me off the stage. Like he was uh Ernie was the Fucking man, back in the the late '90s, early aughts, when it came to slam poetry. Yeah, he, uh,
2: his album Ultraman uh, Ultraman is Airwolf. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I I remember the the one piece about how the Millennium Falcon is just the Duke's a hazard. Like, <laughs> like the passion with which you would argue geek stuff way before the internet. You know, yeah. when when there just weren't the you know uh, there was no YouTube to 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 let these rants out.
1: There weren't it, memes. Did not get passed around. Like at that point, the biggest meme on the internet was that video of the whale exploding. Like, that was the yes, one
0: thing we all... passed from yeah. the 1970s. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Like,
1: but that's the one thing we all emailed to each other.
0: But, yeah, it's... That and the uh, South Park <laughs> Christmas card. Yeah. The Jesus versus Santa one. Yeah. 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 It's so weird, I don't think of those guys as being internet guys, but definitely most people found out about South Park via this little postage-sized, size, postage stamp-sized oh, yeah. well, video.
2: And, of course, that's the, the whole Socksmith. launching of, of this entire platform is, like, like that, that, that word of mouth, that, that easy for, uh, forwarding stuff around.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so uh, but Austin was really it 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 really is that whole Venn diagram thing because we all kind of we're all at the same parties we all knew each other. Uh, hell, when when we met we met on an airplane.
0: We met on an airplane. In yeah.
1: fact, it, it was a funny bookend. I was going to mention this. Uh, so I went out to uh, L.A. for the premiere of Doctor Strange, and the first night I'm out there, I'm on a a friend of mine had me over to have uh, me on his podcast. Uh, my buddy Joseph Scrimshaw, and I was like, we're going to go to dinner and we go to walk, and I'm like, I thought they didn't walk in L.A. He goes, literally around the corner. And I'm like, all right. And then we literally, we walk like 20 feet, turn the corner, and we're at this really great restaurant because he just literally practically lives on top of it. And then I, uh, I get up to go to the bar, and I'm standing next to Max Landis, and we have a lot of friends in common. So I literally go, hey, uh, Max, we don't know each other, but uh, uh, we have a lot of friends in common. Uh, and and he goes, well, well I'm Max. And I go, I'm Cargill. And he goes, oh, Robert C. Cargill. And I said, well, I actually, C. Robert, Robert Cargill. Cargill. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, he goes, oh, hey, yeah, you've been sharing love online like hey and so we ended up chatting and uh, and uh, so that's how I got to meet uh, Max Landis and so that's the first day the last day I get on a plane I sit down and I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and you're sitting there and you go yep. excuse me <laughs> we don't know each other but we have a lot of friends in common you're Robert C. Cargill aren't you
3: and I said
0: well uh, did i, do that? <laughs>
1: yeah. and I said, well, see Robert Cargill but yeah and he you goes know, so I'm Bernie and I'm like of course you are we, we have all the same friends and we've just never been in the same room together and so uh, but yeah so that was, that was the bookend of my, my big LA trip was uh, two different people who I uh, share a lot of the same friends with calling me Robert C. Cargill
0: <laughs> well in my defense uh, in the modern era of knowing you I've always called you just Cargill. Yeah, that's what cuz that's what everyone calls me. And also I we all go back to the old school internet days when everyone had a fake name. Yeah. Like Mazaworm, which Masaworm, I still don't, What yeah. is What is what Oh is man.
1: No no no, it was literally just a, a name um some roommates gave me. I was living in a a uh, uh a two-bedroom apartment with seven other guys. <laughs> like, this is early Austin. Like, this is... It was probably it was only, like, 300 bucks a month rent total. Uh, it was $525 <laughs> uh, right over on Lamar uh, across from Threadgills. Um, it's now a million dollars a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was literally... And everybody had the dumbest names. And, and the worm part just came from... Uh, Uh, we played a lot of uh, uh, World of Darkness role-playing games, and I would always play uh, uh, a thing called a Fomor, which are essentially these worm-tainted creatures um and uh uh it was just my favorite part of that universe <laughs> and so it ended up just one drunken night turning into some stupid name and then literally uh uh my buddy one of the guys who lived there made me my first email ad- uh, address and and yep. he just Massworm at net uh at netzero.com. net zero, net zero <laughs> uh,
0: free internet forever remember that Of course, yeah you forever r- for r- three years so well, um, but you had to run a uh a program where it would show you ads in a bar at the bottom of your screen while yep. you were on the internet the entire time. And then they
2: had that, uh, what is it, uh, uh, 5x the speed over dial-up because it would just pre-cache every website it thought you were about to yeah. start
1: uh, clicking over to. The, be- well, the beauty the beauty of Net Zero actually was if you actually unplugged the, your telephone for a second and then plugged it back in, that little thing would have a, that little bar would have a freak out and would not reconnect after so you wouldn't <laughs> get
0: any more ads. Uh, and it would save your bandwidth. How broke do you have to be to figure that out? You know what I mean? It's like I don't even want to see the ads. I just got to unplug this thing and plug it back in. But I,
1: I I ended up emailing Harry Knowles my first review with that account, and I hadn't made a name. So he's like, "Oh, well, you're mass worm now." Mass worm, and and you know, a year in, I realized, wow, I really should have picked my own name because this is stuck only harry gets to use his own name that that, that is
0: correct
2: what, what uh, was your first screen name
0: so my first one i was when we started Rooster Teeth, i i posted under the name busby but that actually came from that was fairly recent addition I, I used that for the site that jeff and gus and i worked on together called drunk gamers i wrote under the name busby on that that was my handle that's what we Everyone had a handle. A handle, yeah. Because CB. Uh, man,
2: did you guys ever have CB radios back yeah. Oh, in the day? so how
0: old do you want to make this podcast? <laughs> I, I, mean, I never did CB radios, but I did go on BBSs and a lot of BBSs uh, sure, here yeah. in Austin, like sure. just before the internet took off. And on that those days, and that was the handle I used forever, was the handle Belasco. And I that was from my Ultima days when I would play uh, Ultima in middle school like ultima 4 and ultima 5. So I, I I ran a a tag
2: bbs at 2400 baud back in high school and uh that's back when I used the moniker Trash Can Man from the stand. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then uh then I graduated cuz I started reading Pierce Anthony novels. Uh don't judge me. And uh you graduated, and was, from we so all came to Pierce <laughs> Anthony and we all read Pierce Anthony novels. The Incarnations of Immortality were amazing. How are this how that's not a movie yet. Uh but uh but then I went by Kronos and then at some point I realized that the last six letters of Brian Brushwood was a single Single syllable Schwood. And I was like, "Well, I'll just do that." And so I bought it, and I never thought Schwood.com would be a joke. Now there's an eyeglass company named Schwood, oh, and uh, and I get their email from time to time, and so I pass it along, like, "Hey, this appears to be for you." And then and the, and I guess some low-ranking customer service person was just like, "Hey, why do you
0: have Schwood.com? You should just give it to us." Right. And I was like, yeah, n- "No, no. <laughs> How about no?" I had that too because Bernie, my name that comes from my last name Burns, is a nickname. My name of is course. Michael Burns. Uh, but there's a city in Tasmania spelled the exact same way Bernie, Tasmania. And I have Bernie.com. I'll, I don't have anything up there, I just use it for email. And there was a period of time when they were trying to get it from me. But I didn't realize at the time when I registered it that how important it was going to be to have something like that, you know, to where you had this unique identity. And it's like I've tried to like – I don't know about you guys, but I've tried to unwind all those handles and move over to my actual name kind of like you, you were going through at Ain't a Cool News. you know? It's yeah. like, oh, I should use my real freaking name at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, what What was the impetus of that? Did, did like Disney say – Yeah, yeah, there they
3: are.
2: (laughs) Enjoy your free ad. Leave my website alone. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, it was it was uh, it was all about the mystique. Like that was the thing is, um, uh, ain't it cool? Was uh, there's a lot of brilliance in Ain't It Cool, and and I don't think Harry gets enough credit for it, uh, considering you know um, uh, what he did right with it, Um, which was we were we were at it at a point where um, print media was still very very dominant. Ain't it cool? News started two years before the first news story that was ever broke on the internet. If you, uh, if uh, the first story to ever really break on the internet uh, was the Clinton scandal, and Mm. that was in nineteen ninety eight, and that was by uh, the Drudge Report. Drudge, yeah. And uh, so the internet was still this new place where nothing, uh, nothing, anything could happen, and nobody cared. And uh, so a lot of us were trying to fight for relevance, and we were, you know, we were being told that. Uh, you guys didn't matter. Uh, you're just web writers. You know, you just write online. Nobody's reading you. Print is what matters. And what would end up happening is by the time I would come around at ain't it cool. Um, you know, we would write reviews that would get three to five million reads a day. Um, and I was getting, I was a video store clerk, a 25 year old video store clerk being read more than Roger Ebert was. Um uh, uh in print, because not as many people were reading print, and print was in decline,
0: but they refused to accept it so hey, what- Brian real quickly, do you know what video story you worked at? Don't say if you do i let's guess i'm gonna guess I love video i That's- I would have said. I, I'm almost certain. The other, other choice is Vulcan, right? Yeah, Vulcan was where I was going to go. What's i assuming you Blockbuster.
1: No, I worked at Blockbuster for a while, I worked at I Love Video for a while, and I worked at uh, uh, Hollywood for the most, for the longest period of time. Oh, I'm really? I'm so
2: disappointed. You seem like such a Vulcan guy.
1: I, I would have loved to work at Vulcan, but I, there, there was none near where I lived at the time. These are
0: great like independent video stores. Not obviously Hollywood or Blockbuster, but I Love Video and Vulcan, and one of the things I loved about it was the people who worked at the store would leave notes on the cases of all the VHS or oh yeah, and saying, we would review like,
1: it or make jokes, and yeah,
0: it was great, and I love that.
1: Anyway, oh yeah, but so the uh, uh, what ended up happening was uh, uh, Harry realized that there was something very real in creating reviews that were down to earth, that used swears, that used comedy, and that were these characters reviewing it. That we would uh, attract this younger audience. That we would—that's what we were offering. Is we were offering something different than you could get in print. Why would you read a web uh, movie review over an internet movie review. Well, because the internet movie review uh, is gonna drop some F-bombs, it's gonna make you laugh, and it's gonna be told to you by a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of appeal in that. In fact, that was one of the big things. People talk about uh, the gratuitous errors on Ain't It Cool, and the big inside secret was they were intentional. Like we were deliberately not cleaning up our our pieces because it felt more real
2: and raw and down to earth and felt like you stripped away the pretense. and And by by and and with that comes a sense of authenticity that that resonated with people. Yeah. Yeah. People were like,
1: this is a review by somebody I would hang out with, not some stuffy film critic who folds his arms and and says, no, Independence Day was a terrible movie. It's like, fuck you. Independence Day fucking rocked.
0: And we were um, I remember there was one approach that Harry had in particular. Uh, where he would write about his day, and yeah. the context he was giving was, "This is where I was in the head the headspace that I was in when I saw this movie," which is important. You should which, know about. Which it.
2: sounds so self indulgent, and you would think would only ruin the review, but in fact, actually, uh, it only makes it all the more relatable.
0: It was well, connecting this- to the fact that people wanted to see personalities. Like I think he understood that very early on. Yeah,
1: and the the thing is, we didn't even have the word blog yet. Right. Log wasn't popularized until about 2003. Mm-hmm. And that's eight years into seven years into Ain't It Cool's existence. Like this was we were experimenting. We were throwing shit at the wall to see what would stick. And some of it did not work. Some of it was bad. Some of it was questionable. But uh uh but we were trying it out and seeing what the rules were. And so and it was crazy how well it worked. Like we were. It was like working at Rolling Stone in the 60s. Like everyone wanted to be on the front page of Ain't Cool News. I, I went out to L.A., again, 25-year-old video store clerk, and I'm on the set of a movie, and one of the actors invites me out to a bar um, that night uh, to have drinks, and I'm sitting in this bar filled with celebrities who I keep— bumping into or keep getting introduced to me and they know exactly who the fuck I am. Like, they're like, oh, you're massive worm, dude. I love your shit, that's great. And it's like, it, it, it's, it was the weirdest, most surreal thing for this. I was literally just two days before the guy getting yelled at because I wouldn't take a late fee off right. of somebody's <laughs> account. <laughs> yeah. And here I am, and I like at one point that night, I've got this guy who's literally rubbing elbows with me. Like, he's just like, you know, we're, we're that packed in and I, he keeps bumping me and I turn to look at who is bumping my arm and it's vin diesel and i knew that he was a reader of the site because we had uh uh, he had come out to a couple events and he you know uh both he had two different movies that harry saved from going direct to video and so i said oh hey ben he goes hey man i said hey uh uh, i'm massive worm and he goes oh dude and like he's like you want a beer and so i uh, 25 years old and fucking ringing with vin diesel like it was everybody wanted to everybody wanted to be cool with Ain't It Cool. Like, if you've ever seen the movie Almost Famous, that's exactly what it was like. We were all these stupid fucking kids uh, thrown into the deep end of the pool and we had no idea what to do. The
0: fun thing too about Ain't It Cool News is, I mean, from an industry perspective of starting like blogging and reviews and kind of democratizing all of that, there's another aspect to it though too, as a predecessor on the internet, which is the community as well. The community was so hardcore. Were the talkbackers? Oh, that yeah. The, <laughs> it, it was the they predecessor were in, of 4chan. In, yeah, I would say so. I would agree with that. I mean, they, they were, were intense. Foul. And it was you would get some really brilliant people in there, but brilliant people also can be brutally scathing. Oh, like one of the most brilliant talkbackers
1: of all time had the worst... Handle of all time remember Danny Glover's dick blood <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's <say> a worst. <laughs> that's not the way the word works <laughs> It was crazy and there was two communities that I would uh, go into on a regular basis back then it was that one And I'm curious if you guys also went on this which was the view askew uh, oh, sure. this WWW board Mo- that he had.
1: Yeah, what well, you talking about the movie poop shoot or the uh their, the offshoot of that.
0: No, they said like a forum. It was almost <laughs> like a like a predecessor to chat uh, these days, and so many people that I know uh, were on th- those boards, like back in like 1995, 1996.
2: So, so, so you know the story about Cargill and Kevin Smith, right? No, <laughs> I wake up one morning. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I wake up oh, one God. morning, and I had only recently subscribed to uh, uh, Kevin Smith on Twitter, and 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 I I, I come in mid stream where he's mentioning mass worm, and he's just like and, and like I come in at the last one. And it's like so fuck you mass worm Oh yeah? you piece of shit you'll never create anything in your life the, you just sit there judging people like me eat shit uh, and i was it, like fact, what did wrote, i miss he
1: he wrote the epitaph i'm going to put on my uh on my gravestone which is uh uh, you might not be the asshole you seem in print, Mass Worm. Someone out there may even love or tolerate you.
2: <laughs> and that is going on my gravestone. And, and signed, so, now, Kevin Smith. There, there is a backstory that makes sense, but flash forward to the surreality of 10 years later, and I'm seeing a literally tearing up Kevin Smith high out of his mind, giving a video testimony of like... Doctor Strange was the greatest shit ever. <laughs> Whoever wrote this was was a genius. <laughs> and like, uh, I, wh- dude, he got high and saw it in four D.
1: Like that's how he watched <laughs> my movie. And I'm like, yes, that is the win. Yeah, no, he actually no. Long story short was uh, I was working for this place. Uh, so here, let's let me give you a, a quick little rundown of how Brian fits into all this. So I'm working as a video store clerk. I'm doing that for five years. I'm not getting paid to write online like I'm not getting paid for any of those reviews. I was literally just doing it for the cachet and for the fun of writing. And we were having a beer at the bar and he's like, "Man, why aren't you doing this professionally?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's hard to make a living doing this." And he's like, "Look, I'm going to tell you how I did it." Uh and he told me a story about how he and his uh, wife Bonnie uh, uh Bonnie had said okay I'm gonna give you a year to make this magic thing
2: happen yeah wait, wait, wait. she didn't volunteer that right off the bat like I, I had a pretty good job working at Dell designing high-end systems and networks whenever sales reps would get in over their head uh you know I would I would help out but uh, I lived for Wednesday nights when I would do magic at the electric lounge right uh and it was only passing the hat making beer money uh, but you have that 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 tempting false illusion of well maybe someday maybe someday I'll give this this a sure. try full time or whatever, yeah. and then uh, right around the time I was thinking that I got a raise, and it, it was a big raise, and I realized, oh fuck, this is how it happens: is the money gets too good, and you spend the rest of your life wondering what might have been. The raise
0: was obviously at Dell and not at the Wednesday night show. Uh, uh,
2: correct, 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 yeah. correct. But 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 uh, but I realized I was like, I can I can barely walk away from this much money. If it's any more than this, I will never walk away from it. Yeah. And so as a result of the raise, I, I went to Bonnie. I was like. I I don't mind being wrong. I don't mind finding out that it's not in me. What I can't handle is the idea of 20 years from now, me still wondering if I could have made it. And so I was like, I just want one year. We don't have any student loan debt. Just if you'll keep the lights on for one year, let me get this out of my system. Worst case is a year from now, we have 30 grand of debt and we're like every other kid getting out of college. Right. And she was like, Okay, you got one year one year later I'd still made crap money but by that point I'd read like 20 books on on sales and entrepreneurialship and business planning and all that stuff and I and I went to her and I was like I, I look I, it's still not great but I think we could do this. Quit your job and join me. And uh, the two greatest days of my life were the day I hired my wife and the day I fired my wife. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, you know, to be working as as a as a as a marital team. But that one year that she gave me to figure out whether or not I could make money as a touring magician uh, was a lifesaver. And so that that was the pitch, uh, the hard sell I was putting on Cargill.
1: And he gave me that pitch, and uh, I went home and talked to my wife about it, and uh, she was like, you know. Uh, let's think about that. And she thought about it for a couple of weeks and said, you know what? You're miserable as a video store clerk. You're great as a writer. Um, I believe in you. I'm going to give you a year and I'll work I'll I'll make the money you just uh, try to make money doing uh, a film review and if at the end of one year you're making a decent amount of money we'll re-examine it and and we'll go on and so she gave me a year and within five months I was making twice what I was making as a video store clerk mm-hmm. and from then on there was no looking back and so you know I made twice that the first year and, uh, uh, and three times that the second year and by the third year I was making as much as she was and I was a professional film critic and then uh, and then I saw the bottom dropping out of the internet I saw what was happening and and the way that uh, uh, everything was starting to get gobbled up everyone was copying and pasting other people's articles of news there wasn't you know there wasn't that whole hey go read this article and then come back and read our um, uh, our commentary on it gentlemen's agreement that used to exist on, uh, in the early days of, of film criticism and, uh, and I was like oh there's not going to be a job for me in five years yeah. and so I sat down to write my first book and so ended up Doing that, but while I'm writing that first book, I'm I'm hoofing it at all these different places. I'm working at four different movie review places to uh, to to make that living, and one of them was film.com. and they come to me and they say, "Hey, Cargill, you're you're our biggest um uh uh our our, our biggest uh, Kevin Smith fan here. Uh, why don't you write the." fallout about the fallout and aftermath of his whole cop-out debacle where he started screaming at film critics oh this is pretty far along then in this his is career. yeah this yeah. is this is 2010 and but, uh, and,
2: and for context Cargill was telling me like this is a time where it's just like you know how many words you want yeah sure I'll write it but and, and not knowing when it's going to get published or in what context or with what headline it's like you know Kevin Smith just give us 500 words on on how social media has affected his career that is exactly what it, what it I, I would do this I called it my Sunday night dump
1: Uh, in which every Sunday night I would write five articles for film.com and I would just sit down at, at about two in the morning and write until dawn. And I would (laughs) churn out these five articles. that Do you still
0: do that? By the way, are you still writing it like in the middle of the night? Oh, always, always.
1: Yeah, no, I do. I, I do all my best work in the middle of the night when nobody's calling, nobody's writing, nothing's being updated online. If I want a break, I take a break at about 3, 3.30 and check out uh, all my friends in the UK who are waking up on Twitter. Yeah. And that's – but yeah, no, I write in the middle of the night and it just – I, it, it
2: stuck with me. So t- t- tell me if if I've got the right of this. The The overall gist of what you wrote for the Film.com article was basically um, we are seeing the sun setting of – Kevin Smith being known as a director and we're seeing the beginning of him being something more and it seems to involve social media or whatever. But I don't think Kevin Smith heard or saw any of that because the first line was something along the lines of, with this tweet, he ended his career as a director. No, 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 no.
1: I will, I will actually, no, what it, you are misremembering. What it was, what he took issue with was I. the entire article was about how social media uh, which was this brand new thing we still you know uh Facebook was just becoming popular in the mainstream uh-huh. Twitter had not become popular in the mainstream it was still a thing that you know was used by a, a, a bunch of us fringe folks um and uh, uh and he was humiliating himself in public through social media and telling the type of stories that why would you tell this story in 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 public why are you sharing this and the 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 gist of it was was that Kevin Smith's power of what he did was his voice and yeah. him sharing these hyper, you know, uh, uh uh these these really tight toned down geek references um uh essays things like that his opinion his voice was why we watched these films and now he was saturating the market with his voice and he was uh, becoming irrelevant and and I said that you know if he keeps this up, he is approaching irrelevance. And it was like, irrelevant, irrelevant. I'll show you who's a relevant internet boy. And he flipped tables. And um, it was, he spent half an hour. In fact, I'll
0: never forget. Well, that's the basically the entire premise of Jay and Silent Bob.
1: But yeah, so, so Kevin Smith got so furious with me and uh, and then chilled out about it. And then he was, re- was going to show Red State to 50 uh, bloggers in his home. And somebody said, hey, you should invite Massa Worm. And he, he tweeted at me. He goes, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nothing would show that that's water under the bridge like having Mass Worm come to my place and watch my new movie. But I understand why he wouldn't do that so the ball's in his court. And I was like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. And so I pick up the phone and I call Harry. I'm like, Harry, you've got to pay to fly me out to do this. This is my <laughs> gonzo piece, man. Like I'm like the store. It's not just me writing about a uh, a uh, uh, a director, it's me as part of the story. Every, every journalist always dreams of having that one like Hunter S Thompson, crazy gonzo experience. And I'm like, this is it, we gotta do this. He's like, yeah, sure, we'll do it, we'll fly you out. And so at the end, you know, he does the Q and A and I go up to him and I'm like, hey man, uh, uh, it's uh, uh, good to see you again, uh, uh, we, you know, uh, I'm Worm, and he goes, oh, Oh, you're one of those people I got into an argument on the internet with, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. He goes, I'm sorry, man. I do that. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, well, can we hug it out? And he's like, of course we can hug it out. So me and Kevin Smith hugged it out. And and then eventually uh, the career happened and uh, uh, he
0: wrote a very high crying review of my movie. So (laughs) all is good. I want to hear the path to getting to doctor strange uh, from there but I do want to say I think we need a word for whatever that regret hangover after internet rage happens like what is that like gosh oh, uh, 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 cuz it feels so in the moment good in, the in the moment, moment it makes it, sense right? and then afterwards it's always stupid yeah yeah oh every single time
2: and it's not – I used to think like, like uh, oh, that person is drunk. That person is high. That person is tired. But it's like there have been times it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it's like uh, the spirit comes over me. I'm like, this person needs to know that they're yeah. wrong. Yeah.
0: My, my, my thing now is like my defense mecan- mechanism that I use is like unless I can see their face – in their avatar, I just assume everyone's 12 years old. This is mean, a no, nice no, no. defense Okay, mechanism. you know what? Even if you can't see their face, they're 12. They're all 12. Everybody's 12. It's nice because then you can just be like, ah, everything just uh, goes off your back. There's, there's a
2: fantastic article by the wonderful writer David Wong uh, at Cracked.com called a Six Harsh Truths That Will Make You a Better Person, and it's filled with great advice, but my favorite part is at the very end, he explains the nature of trolling, and when people post nasty comments, he says, they all boil down to the same thing, and then he puts in quotes, stop trying. What you're doing is different than the way I would have done it, and the attention you're getting is making me uncomfortable with myself. And then once you, once that's the filter through which you read every negative comment, it's like, hey man, that's okay. Here's a hug. Let's yeah. hug it out.
0: <laughs> In the yeah. words of Master worm. All right. Well, let me read this. Uh, this episode of the Rishi Prod- podcast is brought to you by Hims. Check this out. 66% of men start losing their hair by age 35. I'm well beyond the age of 35. And I don't care if you're losing your hair. Go ahead and lose your hair if you want to. But that's two out of every three dudes. On Earth, that is a ton of people. And if that bothers you and you have this problem, check out 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Hymns provides medical-grade solutions, real doctors who offer quality generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair where it belongs. There's no waiting room and no awkward doctor visits. Save time and your hair by going to 4 It's all pretty easy. You'll answer a few quick questions online, then doctors will review your information and prescribe a solution for you. Gus and Patrick have tried this service. They swear by it. They say the whole process was quick and it was very easy to deal with. Uh, order now. Our viewers get a trial month of HIMS for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for the full details. Uh, this would cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. It's so much easier to use hymns. Go to 4 slash rooster. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash rooster. 4 slash rooster. All right. Before we get back in the conversation here, Ashley's actually going to join us here in a second. Um, I want to show an RT. Patrick, do we have that RTAA? Uh, we had a really an RTA. This is an older one, but I want to show it to you because we've had so many comments about this RTAA, and we decided to finally act on it. But here's uh, one of the old Rooster Teeth animated adventures.
3: Um, I have seen something explode in real life, actually, and it was glorious, kind of like movies. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever told the story. My father set his phone on fire once. How? It was a uh, it was a Sony Ericsson. Okay. It was so it was back in the day, and he was outside, and he was talking on his phone, and he got sweaty. My father, the genius, decides. I should put it in the microwave to dry it off. <gasps> what?
0: No. He no. could not have possibly thought no. that. So
3: I vividly remember walking past him and going, oh, hey, Dad, what are you microwave?" And before I could get microwaving out of my mouth, our microwave exploded into, like, this glorious Roman candle and scorched the ceiling of our Holy kitchen. Holy shit. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Right. And he was like, I microwaved my cell phone. <laughs> and I just remember going, you excuse me? He, he, had he never had a fork in a microwave, anything before? His mind thought, I, and you know, this is when phones had keys still. It wasn't all touch screens. And so, you know, the, the water got into the keys and he panicked. And so he thought, I need to dry it quickly. did think maybe like a blow dryer. A blow dryer, a bag of rice, turning it over on a towel. None of that. He thought, his immediate brain went, phone, microwave. And he's like, I only put it in for five seconds. It's <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Like, all those solutions <laughs> take time. Yeah, five seconds is yes. all he needed. That's awesome. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. PSA, don't put your <laughs> cell phone in the microwave. I can't it's believe like, he's, like, to this day, we always make fun of him, it's so great.
0: It's like a, like a, you're like, uh, well, ma'am, why did you microwave your baby? It's like, it was wet. It was wet. wet. <laughs> so that was actually a reference to uh, another uh, discussion that we had where uh, Mika talked about how she was wearing some anime shirt at the time, and so, uh, when the animators for RTA made it, they just made her wearing the Sum Anime shirt. Every time that shirt has appeared in an RTAA, the comments have been dominated by people asking us to make a Sum Anime shirt. So, yes! who yes! the merch finally
3: made the
0: Sum Anime shirt. <laughs> so, for those of you who have asked for it endlessly, first of all, you can get this, and we hope you do. But secondly, you can also now shut up and never <laughs> ask for it ever again. There's your there's your lovely product. And,
1: and there there are free copies of that for the guests, right?
0: Yeah, if you would like a some anime shirt, that'd be great. That we would be happy to. We we'll even put your name on the back. We'll put Robert C. Cargill. <laughs> Robert
3: C. Cargill.
0: Uh, <laughs> joining us is Ashley. What's up? Hi, Ashley.
3: Hey, how's For it going? For
0: this not at all pre-recorded Memorial Day podcast. Yeah, no, we're just Have hanging Memorial on Day. Memorial Day, everybody. Yeah. Well,
4: time to break out all the flag shirts at Target.
0: <laughs> and and knock back a few beers and
1: try to figure out what we're celebrating.
0: Yeah. So, listen, did you hear the, how supportive these guys' wives were about their careers in Uh-oh. the early days? They are like, like, go do it for a year. Don't make any money. Who cares? What Just do you want to do? I don't know. Something. I want to be a trapeze artist. You want
1: to you, you start up a
0: a, a successful uh, media company? Because that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds a good idea. It, it should do it in 2003, where apparently it's a lot easier, than I've been told now. Like, it was, <laughs> dude, it was
1: literally an open door to anyone. Anyone could show up. And as long as you did something halfway interesting, there was an audience because there were so many people online, and nobody was generating content.
2: Yeah, but mm-hmm. but, but this is also the early days before uh, uh, distribution had been consolidated. And mm-hmm. man, is it a different place now. Now now oh, there really. really are. So uh, uh, in the world of, of nobody variety, gave a
0: shit about it either. It was like below home video, which yeah. was lousy. You know what I mean? They said like if your movie went straight to home video, that was a huge insult. And web was like somewhere below that but like slightly above porn so That's what I was like. I
1: was literally being read by three to five million people a day And my parents were like so you're still doing that internet thing mm-hmm. huh?"
0: Like it, it was it was crazy like it's they didn't take it seriously for years in 2010. We would do interviews This is like at this point seven or eight years into us as a company We would do interviews and most of the interviews ended in the exact same way They go it's like one last thing do you think like one day? People will make money doing what you guys are doing. It's like we just walked you around. There's 40 people that work here. Still, you, what, I, I still, I still get the question, like,
2: uh, and and not just, not just for tour. You know, I've I've toured all over the United States. I've performed in every uh, state in the United States. I've been on the Tonight Show twice. I've, I've toured every really, world. Wait, I wait, wait. You've been, wait, you been yes. on the
0: Tonight Show? Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really awesome.
2: Well, I, 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 that's that's the weird. That's like the the dark chapter is is because what I was doing is I was real time trading my uh, my attention for for money, which is a uh, hamster wheel, right? So it's like I learned how. To <laughs> <laughs> Eat fire, break bricks over my head, read minds, do do. It's a good stage show. Uh, Penn and Teller said very nice things when I did Pennateller Foolus or whatever. His
1: his stage show is amazing. Speaking of Venn diagram, he once did his show at oh, my right. birthday. I, did, party. I I've, I've worked a birthday party. <laughs>
2: I worked your your thirtieth birthday party. That That's correct. right. I forgot That's about how that. long
1: we've known each other. You showed up and you're like, I didn't bring a present, but I brought me.
2: But I realized <laughs> I'm gonna improvise a present. <laughs> but during that time, I, I, I was getting fully booked. I was on the road 150, 200 days out of the year uh, performing colleges and universities. Now, how far nationwide. was this in?
0: Was this in the first year you were reaching
2: that level? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, first first year was maybe 20 shows, then 40, then 60, then you know, at some point around 2003, uh, I leveled out. I, I hit max bandwidth and then i was having colleges say well what else can you do and and they're like well i can come do the show again and they're like yeah we've seen it you stick the fire in your mouth it's very nice you
1: break the brick over your
2: head yes like, exactly yeah, we've seen all <laughs> exactly that. and so uh, but then what i uh, what i realized is that after the show people this is around the time that um uh, john edward was uh, doing his talking to the dead people uh tv show and everybody would say like well how does he do that what's this and i would find myself doing like an improvisational 30 to 40-minute lecture explaining the tenets of skepticism and stuff to all these fucks. Uh, fucks? Uh, folks. Fucks. <laughs> <Fox. Yeah, no, laughs> you just saw yourself on you. TV and you're like, oh my I'm God, like this I'm asshole. so sexy. <laughs> uh, but I realized like, oh, well, maybe I could give a lecture on college campuses. So I wrote a lecture called Scam, Sasquatch, and the Supernatural. And so now I had two shows to do on college campuses. And uh, after about five years of that, I realized I'm still not reaching enough people because if you've if you've ever worked in in the live arts or variety entertainment there are moments where you're performing for 300 people and it's absolute electricity you're connecting with them and saying something transcendent and then they give you a standing ovation or whatever and then 2 weeks later not one person can remember your name and they half remember that you were kind of funny and that that's part of the reason that I used to yeah. do the the guile crazy spikes is because I just wanted something for them to hold on to that they would remember down the road uh, and then around this time, you know, uh, YouTube 2005 launches up. So in 2006, I start at least cataloging life on the road with uh, Brian Brushwood on the road. And then I had the idea of one of the other things that naturally always happened was as soon as the show was over, the student activities board would take me out to eat, and they all wanted to learn a trick for themselves. They were uh. like, what can you teach me? And so after doing that a few times, I was like, I think this this should be virtualized and and, you know, Uh, Distributed, so I had the idea for Scam School that I took to Revision Three, and I, at the time, I thought this will be a good starter gig. I'll get experience. I'll learn how to talk on camera. It's not going to go anywhere. All internet startups fail. Oh man! And here we are, uh, uh, ten years and five hundred plus episodes
0: down the road. I missed that hair. Yeah, I missed that hair so much. Revision Three started as. Uh, was it officially an, a video offshoot of Dig, or was it just Kevin Rose? It, was it, it, uh,
2: K- uh, Kevin Rose and a few other uh, Tech TV alums. Got it. Put together, uh, uh, they were the founders of it. And uh, in the early days, it was pitched as a tech network, basically a rebirth of, you know, what what was good about Tech TV because they yeah. got bought by G4, and there was a lot of people who didn't like the the, the gaming direction of G4. They wanted more tech centric stuff, and that's that's why I pitched Scam School. As the only show dedicated to social engineering at the barn on the street, and so in the early days, you'll you'll notice like for the first four or five years, I never used the M word. I never admitted that what I was doing was teaching magic because mm. oh no, it's a tech network, it's a tech show. I'm teaching you hacking, life hacking, skills hacking. I don't know those scams. are tech terms. Yeah. yeah, exactly, scams. And then uh, and then at some point, it became clear like there's a lot of young magicians learning stuff, and and uh, by that point. It had been bought by Discovery Digital, and, uh, and now it's part of Group Nine Productions. But uh, the weird part for me is, ten years into this, is to is to hear so many people say, "Oh yeah, you're the reason I got into magic because I started watching it in elementary school," hmm. and then now I'm on America's Got Talent. I'm like, "You oh, motherfuckers!" Wow, wow. <laughs> you know? it's it's crazy. It's yeah,
1: no, it's it's so weird. Like I'll I'll talk to young film critics, and they'll be like, "Oh man, when I was in." Fifth grade, I was reading your reviews, and I'm like, those weren't appropriate for a fifth <laughs> grader. What were you doing? And but yeah, no, it's so weird to like how that you know that space uh, created and inspired so many other people, and 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 it just keeps feeding. And it, it 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 it's very weird. Like that's how I. I now view these people that I'm a huge fan of, that I grew up with, through that lens of like, oh, you were just somebody, just like hoofing it, trying to sell books, and you just, I picked up your book, and then I became one of your fans, and and it inspired well, and me to do had, this. And
0: magic, magic has magic survived in the information age because it seems like, you know, growing up watching like David Copperfield and have a special order to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. There was no impression that I had that he was going to tell us how he did it. But now I would imagine that most of the time when people see a trick, their first question is, how'd you do it? And right. then you say, well, it's magic. I'm not going to, it's just magic. And they're like, no bullshit. You have to tell me. Like people feel like they have to know how things are done. Yeah. It's just part of our, I think like they're going to be, they're going to do three hour read on Wikipedia after they see a trick. So, so here's an honest answer. And I don't normally, I, I don't normally say this in public,
2: but I think that knee-jerk reaction of, I can't tell you it's a secret or whatever, I think that is a social construct that magicians say because they haven't put enough thought into coming up with something more clever. And what they don't realize is a side effect of that is it makes you a dick, and it makes them think you're a dick. Uh, Seinfeld had the routine, every magic routine is the same. Here's a quarter, now it's gone, you're a jerk. Now it's back, (laughs) you're still a jerk, show's over, right? That's what everybody thinks of magicians, uh, and that's because of this whole, well, a good magician never reveals his secrets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas how little effort would it take to do something with a little more nuance. Do a trick, and then somebody says, yes, the knee-jerk reaction is, how do you do that? What, What they're really saying is, I am experiencing amazement at this moment. Guide me to more of this experience. But instead, people respond with with defense, and they're like, I'm not going to tell you, so fuck you. And and, and that's why magicians have a bad rep. Whereas, how much easier would it be to say, oh, did you enjoy that? And what are they going to say? No, they just asked you how it was done. And they're like, yeah, I enjoyed it. And then you say, would you like to see another? And again, what are they going to say? No. Like, Like, it's so much more elegant, and it dodges that question. Now, if the next day, three or four days later, Somebody calls me on the phone saying, "I think my life has really changed as a result of that card trick." I would really like to I can't know. Can't stop thinking about you it. You have, you actually have that story. Uh, oh, a number
1: of those you, stories. Yeah, yeah, no, but you have that. You, I don't know if you can share it, but let's throw this out there just in case. Can you tell the story about J.J. Um, Abrams? Oh, <laughs>
0: Oh, you know I was what? actually uh, hoping it was going to be actually Dr. Strange. Oh, you no, no, no. No,
1: I can tell those stories later, but he no, has no, no, one no, no. of I, the greatest know sure, stories to it, I, I, okay. known to man.
2: Uh, okay, so, so there, uh, just to wrap up this thought, I yeah. feel like magicians would be better served if they learned to more subtly guide people into the next thing, and they didn't meet force with force. Yeah. Uh, it, it, by making... By saying no, I'll never tell you the secret. You make the secret the star of the show, and the secret should not be the star of the show. The secret should be the sauce that makes the story so 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 wonderful, right? So separate situation, man. Uh, I know ex- the the exact day. It was it was Father's Father's Day. Yeah, Father's Day.
0: <laughs> Do you know the exact
2: day? F- uh, four four years. F- Three or four years it's ago. Wild, it's
1: while The Force Awakens was being shot.
2: Yeah. This, so, is, the sto- this is the beginning of this story. Uh, okay. So uh, we've had on our comedy podcast uh, Night Attack, we've had Greg Grunberg uh, from uh, Heroes and a number of other projects. And Felicity, thank you. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a, a good friend. And and if you don't know, he and J.J. Abrams have been childhood friends. Yeah, uh, what's
0: the story there?
2: Uh, I, he's, they, he's in everything. But. Yeah, they literally grew up together. I mean, it's like... Uh, if That's if, a good gig. Yeah, right? And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, and so, I mean, if I was J.J. Abrams, I'd throw Grunny in everything. He's he's amazing. He's yeah. he's, he's fun and, and funny. So I get a text from a number I don't recognize saying, Hey, how did David Blaine make it appear in an orange? And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then it says, this is Grunny. And, it's, and then it says, I'm in England. And then it says, J.J. J. wants to know... And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep talking to uh, my parents. And then the phone rings, and uh, and and I answer the phone. It's from the same number. And clearly at a bar, Greg Grunberg says, I have a raging shwoody, and I have to know how he did the trick. And what I was, was like, the trick? Well, wait, that's what I asked. I was like, well, which uh, trick? He's like, David Blaine. What did
0: uh, orange? Uh, uh, obviously. Obviously. And, yeah, orange.
2: He, he said Harr- Harrison Ford thought of a card, and it was in an orange. And uh, <laughs>
0: oh, that's when he kicked him out of his house, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's so, a funny. That's a funny bit, actually. Oh, oh yeah. I'm not but, a huge David Blaine fan, but that was. But funny. here's here's the backstory that you
2: don't know about that bit. <laughs> okay. So so I was like, well, I haven't seen it, but if he uh, described the effect, he was like, nah, let this guy explain. And then he hands the phone over, and he was like, hey, it's JJ. And I was like, shit, I'm talking to JJ Abrams, and JJ JJ is a magician. He knows his stuff on that, right? And so uh, and so uh, I, I get the the broad strokes, and I'm like, okay. If it looks that clean, if in general somebody just thinks of a card and it's in an orange, I don't know how they did it, but the way I would do it is before the cameras were rolling, I would make sure to firmly establish what that card would be so I would have time to sneak it into an orange, right? And Before and, uh, the
0: trick or during the trick?
2: Uh, uh, I mean, when the cameras are rolling, who knows what that means, gotcha, right? Gotcha, okay. So, uh, but, uh, and then JJ was like, no, 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 no. He just, Harrison, and now I realize that for all I know, Harrison's in the room as well. Harrison swears. Oh, because in the movie, yeah. He just thinks, thought of a card, and uh, and it showed up in an orange. And so and so I'm just like uh, I was like, well, let me take a look at it and, and take a look. And I watch it, and magicians have this um, uh, thought uh, the too clean principle. like there there's signal and then there's noise. If it's pure signal, for example, if, if I were to ask Cargill to think of a card and then I were to, and he says, you know, the, the Queen of Diamonds, and I were to pull back my shirt and, and you would see tattooed upon my body a Queen of Diamonds, that would be too clean. You would immediately think, there's no way that was natural, I have to su- mm-hmm. suspect all this stuff. But if we added a lot of noise, like if I asked you to grab a deck of cards, you shuffle it, you pull out a card, you, you could change your mind five times, yeah. that adds more noise. But when it, when you pick the queen of, of hearts and I reveal that it's tattooed on my chest, now all of a sudden it's like I have no idea how that's possible, right? Watching the performance, it, it's like this is too much signal, not enough noise. Something definitely—I don't know what—but something happened before the camera rolls, right? And so uh, and so, sure enough, I, I call back and uh, jj Grunty doesn't even answer his own phone jj does <laughs> he's like he's like all right what is it and i was like man it looks to me like something happened before those cameras rolled and he, and he and he goes he goes yeah no that's not what that's not what harrison said and i'm like it's not for me to call han solo a liar but <laughs> i'm sure that's how he remembers it because again that's another thing mag- magicians rely on is is the malleability of memory right and uh, and so uh, Gruny gets the phone, super disappointed. He was like, "Well, thanks for nothing, Schwo." And so I, I think to, I, I, say, I say you know what? I have some friends who worked on the special. Let me let me find out what I can find out to confirm. But I'm telling you, something happened before the the thing went. And uh, and so I call them and and leave a message. <laughs> hours later, hours later, I get a phone call. God, I did. I don't know if anything I'm about to say is true. This is a flight (laughs) of fancy that very likely is fiction. So imagine a short story that ends like this. I could tell that part
1: of the story (laughs) if I need you to, for legal
2: reasons. I get a phone call from uh, uh, my friend who worked on the show. And I say, like, weirdest day ever. J.J. Abrams called me. Harrison Ford wants to know. This is what happens. It looks to me like something happened before the cameras were rolling. Uh, 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 Tell me I'm not crazy. Uh, Because I'd like to think I know a thing or two about magic. And uh, and the guy says, well, number one, yes, of course something happened before the cameras were rolling. I was like, but Harrison Ford said he just thought of a card and it was just in an orange. And he says, yeah, because he was high. (laughs) Watch it again. And sure enough, (laughs) sure enough, if you watch that clip. He's high but His pupils thought. are larger than his face. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly... Han Solo was stoned <laughs> out of his mind
1: and watched them, stoned out of his mind, watched them put the entire trick together where they put all of the cards in all these various places, completely forgot <laughs> that they put the cards in all the places, thought of a card, and holy shit, it's in an orange.
2: I don't know if it's true. As far as, you know what, uh, uh, is, uh, 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 to Mr. Ford's lawyer, uh, I. Just assume this is fiction. I've always assumed it's fiction, but that's uh that certainly is a satisfying end to the tale if well, it were true. It sounds
0: like that's a trick for any <laughs> magician coming up, is just get everybody in the audience stoned <laughs> B- out of mouth. Oh, <laughs> are you kidding? Uh, that's that? what uh, a friend
2: of mine, Justin Wilman, did exactly that on his uh his uh Comedy uh, Central special. He went with Doug Benson and did magic for <laughs> <a> high people <laughs> at a dispensary. It was pretty uh, great.
0: Can I ask you just a general question about magic? Sure. So is, is there a is there part of magic that kind of crosses over with Hypnotism, of like the power of suggestion as well. I mean, there's some tricks where. You do them, but you know there's a there's a chance they might not work out, or is every trick I'm going in, 100% I know it's going to work?
2: So uh, this is a, a idea of skepticism and scientific and magic. This is a cross-section here. There's something called the, the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, which is uh, you, you grab your six-shooter, you shoot the side of a barn, then you walk over and you paint the target around it, mm-hmm. right? And it's all based on the fact that 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 timing-wise, nobody knows what you were aiming for, right? So uh, uh, in in that regard... Uh, hypnotism certainly is in the same boat, um, stage hypnotism, people ask all the time if hypnotism is real. And my response is, yes, it's real. It's also nothing like what you think it is. And the way I explain it is like, if you've ever laughed at a movie or cried at a movie, you have been moved to a physiological reaction yeah. by a situation that never happened to characters who never existed. But you allowed yourself to make them real enough that you felt a real, a real
0: thing. right? You I mean, okay,
4: Ash? They exist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Does that count for cringing as well? Because oh, I think wait. one of the most cringeworthy scenes I've seen in a movie lately was when Doctor Strange's hands go through the fucking dashboard of his car. <sighs> that made me, like... Yeah. My my butthole puckered. How could or, you do that? Yeah. yeah. Oh oh. There's,
1: I did. There, I did stuff that didn't show up on screen. Like you just you just have to acknowledge that they don't exist, Ashley. Yes, I it was they cool, do. I thought that, it was a cool thing in Infinity War that he had scars all the way up his fingers. That is something we 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 had a very long uh, discussion about, and it's something I I fought for very hard. Was I felt that uh, in order for Doctor Strange to work, he never fixes his hands. Like that was a thing, like there was a lot of talk that, oh no, he, the reward he gets at the end of the movie is he gets his hand back, hands back, and I'm like, no, no. The re- reward at the end of the movie is he makes the sacrifice to be a hero. And at the same time, we don't get to see disability in uh, film and seeing it treat, you know, see it really with the hero very often. Mm-hmm. And And see somebody represented who suffers from a disability and um, and is still one of the most powerful people in the world despite that fact. Yeah. And so I felt that that was really important. And so, yeah, that was the thing was he would – any scene where you would see his hands, he would spend an hour in makeup getting the scars put all over his
2: hands even if they only appeared for just a second. Like it was a big thing and, and it was uh, – uh, but but I think it's an important thing because it implies a weakness behind the scenes, you know. Much mm-hmm. like a magician projects an aura of authenticity and and in controlness when really all he's thinking is like, don't pick the don't pick a black card, don't pick a black card, don't pick a black card. But but you never see that internal dialogue on there. Yes. But as as far as as far as uh, hypnotism, yep. uh, there is clinical hypnotism and then there's stage hypnotism, and you'll notice that a stage hypnotist act is basically like an ascending ladder of increasing social pressure. Right. So, uh, for example, if I were to say, hey, right now, take off your shirt and dance like Lady Gaga, you would think that would be very painful and uncomfortable for me to do And socially. then he would
4: totally do it. <laughs> <laughs> What's
2: up? How you doing? But, but are, are we, we all doing that? Is that <laughs> I, I mean, I'm down. Uh, th- think of it as like water always goes downhill. Uh, this is the same trick I use on any time I get somebody on the phone and I'm trying to do a customer service thing. I understand, like, never ask a yes-no question, because if they can say no, they'll say no. So instead, what you do is you make the easiest solution for them to do the thing you want them to do. And that's what, that's the social contract. The more people who show up to a stage, uh, a hypnosis show, the better the show is yeah. because the social pressure is so great where, where somebody's like halfway through the show, it's like, well, I already pretended uh, that I was hot or cold or whatever. And it's like, you know, do I really want to suddenly admit that, that, that this isn't working? And again, you can talk yourself. Talk yourself into a state of mind where you do feel like uh, or or you'll half remember. It'll be like a half remember dream when somebody says you won the lottery and you act out so vividly the reaction of winning the lottery that later when they say like, uh, oh, where's your lottery ticket? Much like if you dreamed about winning the lottery, you'll you'll have a brief flash of like, oh, wait, oh, no, no, wait. That's right. That was that was the stage. show. That wasn't a real thing.
0: There's so. also that, that social pressure, but also then the audience also escalates where they start laughing harder and harder. And that's the kind of thing where you do feel an obligation. Like, I think there's an innate performance in each of us, you know, or Nate Performer, I should say, where once you start to get those reactions, you just kind of start to lean into it even more. It what? also seems like the first part of every hypnosis show is a vetting process of like, right. let's get rid of these people who clearly aren't gonna play along.
2: So there's a second phase too. First is the vetting process where it's like you need to make it clear that you're sifting for people who are going to uh, be malleable and cooperative, uh, and you'll also notice a slow shift in language. Early on, they'll say, they'll very carefully say, let's pretend we're cold. How would you act if you were cold? How would you act if you you were tired and blah okay. blah blah, and then and then it's like, how would you act? Just uh, let your body relax, and and when I say sleep, I want you to enter this state again. So now what you've done is you've sort of set up a programming loop where the word sleep equals. Let everything go loose. And then at some point you stop saying all that preamble and you just say sleep. So the visuals you get later on are and and again, because memory is so malleable, you're able after the fact you won't remember all the lead up stuff. You'll just remember somebody being
0: halfway through and then saying sleep and then they just collapse down. That's what's awesome. fascinating about. It. Did you guys see the power suggestion, I think, is incredible to me. Did you, you there was this big viral thing last week about Yanny or Laurel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They played a video or uh, an audio clip and people heard Yanny or they heard Laurel. I'm sure you guys know all about it. Why do you keep saying Laurel twice? I know, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, sorry. The better
2: one is the, the green needle or So that's what I was gonna bring yeah. up was the green needle one, which I think is way more fascinating. I agree. I think that's yeah. much, much better.
4: But that didn't work for me.
2: What? Yeah, it didn't work on her.
4: I heard like Green Brain Thingy. Well, explain what it is. is... It, so it was uh, this is an audio track. It's kind of like the Laurel Yanny thing except the difference is You will hear whichever one you want to hear if you so think, you think, of think it, I want to hear this one yeah. You then hear it.
1: Well, it, it works exactly the same way as uh, in the 90s There was this crazy thing that happened with a Teletubby doll where uh, <laughs> uh, Where the you would pull the string and it would go batty batty, but people heard Faggot, faggot! Oh, jeez. Right. And so they had to pull it off shelves because the minute some Christian mother heard those words and 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 said that, all of a sudden people were rushing out and buying them because they wanted the faggot faggot doll, <laughs> and it was and it was a very weird thing where when you actually listen to it, it's like that's not what it's saying at all. Like well, it doesn't. Well,
0: that was weird too because it was this whole conspiracy theory that it was pushing a gay agenda because the upside down triangle on Stinky yeah. Winky. I think it's Stinky Winky. I, I want to pretend like I don't know who that is. Do you, uh, but do you know the name of all of them, Bernie? I gotta, couldn't even. I just think I just know Tinky Winky. So we, uh, we did an <laughs> I episode. I didn't have kids at that time. Is point one of them time. Pinkie Pie? Uh, we did an episode of The Modern Rogue. But talking why would you about, use that word if you're pushing a gay agenda? Why would you use a slur like that? It no, no, no. Any it's,
1: sense. It, 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 was, it was absolutely ludicrous. But yeah. It was one of those things where it was one of those first internet things where you could watch the video online and, and listen to it. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, Oh, that's, that's not what it's saying at all. Like this, what is, what is everybody, but everyone was hearing it when you tried to
0: listen to it. So, but, uh, but this did, one was if you think brainstorm, you hear the word brainstorm. If you think the words green needle, you hear green needle. Which is so and amazing like term, because, because green
2: needle has an extra syllable in there and yet somehow you hear the syllable, the third yeah. syllable
1: I've, on there. I've heard both Yeti and Laurel, like depending on so what like, time of day it was, do. I heard something else and I'm like, I actually for a while was searching around to see if there were literally, if this was a big hoax and there were literally two different same bio, thing that
0: I, I did listening. the exact
4: same thing Look, I did that Internet with the dress as well healthy.
1: So
0: What's
4: the, that? Internet skepticism's healthy.
0: Oh, God. No kidding, right? I these mean, yeah.
2: are all really good examples of what they call priming. We did an episode on backmasking on the Modern Rogue where we played just some uh, random uh, – a random track by a, a local band named The Draculas, and we played it backwards. And it's like uh, this is nonsense sound that means nothing. He's like, great. Now I want you to hear these lyrics. And he said a bunch of lyrics. And then sure enough, once you had that filter, that lens through which you watched everything, it was like, yeah, no, I hear it plain as day. That's amazing. Brian Rush is the devil. <laughs>
0: exactly. That the devil, the devil. So, so you use basically verbal or contextual uh, clues basically to have Think the about person the- who is listening to it perform some kind of action. You're like planting that seed. Right. What a great time to bring up this episode of the Rooster Teeth Podcast is brought to you by Blue Apron. <laughs> How does free food sound? Great, right? Blue Apron is offering our audience their first three meals free. That's right. Free. When it comes to dinner, let Blue Apron take care of the planning and shopping. Just do the cooking and eat the great food. Enjoy delicious meals like popcorn chicken with sweet chili cabbage slaw and cumin-spiced wonton noodles and vegetables peanuts. Each recipe is ready and on the table in 45 minutes or less. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron gives you your taste buds. A great new experience. Ashley and I would love to use Blue Apron, but Gus takes all the Blue Apron every single time it shows up. Do you have some? Right now? Yeah, what's up? What a coincidence. What's up? All right, Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week. You can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what best fits your schedule. Blue Apron uses only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. They deliver fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes that can be cooked in under 45 minutes right to your door. The menu changes every week based on what's in season, and is designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com/roosterteeth. Don't pass up three free meals. That's blueapron.com/roosterteeth. Blue Apron: A better way to cook. I can't believe we're actually gonna get a Blue Apron meal. You and I. So. Oh hell yeah! Yeah.
4: I keep track of their menu.
0: So that would be a great—that would actually be a great viral thing for a, a company to do. You just use their, like, this green needle uh, brainstorm thing, but with their actual trademark name of some kind.
2: Man, you, but then you'd have to find something, like, super controversial
0: to light it up on Reddit uh, uh, that it also sounds like. Oh, i read a crazy story just recently. You guys know about this when Clear Pepsi came out. <laughs> oh, is uh, this about Tab? Yeah, that Coca-Cola, when they were introducing uh, Clear Pepsi— Coke decided to put out Clear Tab at the same time and intentionally that. poorly marketed it, so that it was basically a brand designed to die and drag down Clear Pepsi with it
4: by a power of association.
0: Yeah, wild, isn't that wild? I, and it worked, dude. While, I, I, you know I really want to get into corporate yeah.
4: espionage. It sounds like a lot of fun.
1: You know, you know what was actually I feel did the most damage to Clear Pepsi. Clear uh, Pepsi? Sat, no. Well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say, Fair Fair Saturday Night Live, yeah, the
1: clear yeah. gravy. Yep, yep. Like, that was, they did this whole gag on Clear Pepsi where it was clear gravy and it was the grossest thing you've ever seen in your life. And it literally just, anytime I hear of clear Pepsi, after that, it just turned my stomach because well, I ki- thought ki- of It ki- was degree. a hot minute when everything was going clear. Exactly,
2: yeah. right? Because this is when Zima came out. And, There's and, a Miller
0: and, uh, that was clear as well, yeah, right?
2: The, the SNL bit thing was really just a scathing indictment of, in general, the idea of anything becoming clear is dumb. Knock it off. And then that was that so resonated with people, that was the end of clear Pepsi. I,
4: mm-hmm. know, I really liked all the clear PCs and electronics for a while. Yeah, Miller clear. That was clear. a sweet trend.
1: <laughs> I, you know what I, I, what I really miss is going to gyms and saying, can I get that with clear grade? And then they go, "Is clear Pepsi okay?" <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hate Pepsi. Uh, <laughs> brought to you by Pepsi. Are you? Have you? Were you
0: born and raised in Austin,
1: Cargill? No, I was. Uh, I was actually. I was born in San Antonio, but I'm a military brat, so I moved around. Okay. Uh, and then I moved back to San Antonio when I was 14, and uh, then when I was 19, I fell in love with a girl, and I followed her up to Austin when she went to college,
0: and uh, been here ever since. So I know people that have moved great distances for their significant other, and they don't like to say that. They don't like to mention that they made big moves for love. But for me, that's one of the most legitimate reasons to make a big change in your life. Is for love, but people feel like, oh, it, especially if it doesn't work out, that it was like, oh, I didn't want to tell anybody that I Yeah,
1: but her. if it totally worked out, then, you know, like, I followed that girl up here, and I'm still married to her. Like, we, uh, you know, we just bought a new house together. Like, our life is awesome. Like, of course I'm willing to say, yeah, I followed her up. She
0: was totally fucking worth and it. And she bankrolled you for a year, man. That was pretty dope. <laughs> Best wife ever, dude. You don't want to say, back ever. when you were talking about your starting off and then, you know, X amount of months in, you were hitting your financial goals, and then doubling that and then tripling that. That's always a really great thing, and that, those are the—hitting the, the hitting your financial goals, especially for your career, is really important. It helps you never look back. Then there's also that thing that people always say of, oh, well, if you're doing something you love, then you really don't work a day in your life. That's not true at all. That's, sure. that's I don't not think. Yeah. at all true, <laughs> I
3: remotely. don't think that's
0: true. But there is a it thing that nobody ever— It makes the work easier. The, yeah, there's something that nobody talks about when your hobby becomes your vocation. Which is then everything you were normally doing or spending money on in your private life is now just part of your everyday business life. That I think is a huge fringe benefit for it. Like everything that I do for my job here, I don't have really anything to spend money on at home because I have video games and comic books and computers and stuff like that. Oh no, There's, you
4: find things. No, uh, yeah, that's true. That's you true. bought a flamethrower. Where's what's the work application? Did you, you buy the boring
0: thrower. company one? Did, did you buy one from Elon Musk? Nice. Here's why I have learned in my long life on the internet. Don't ever pre order soft products like software. Always pre order hard products.
1: Really? How's your vessel?
0: Well, that, that <laughs> was, I got oh. that for Gavin. Why,
1: why, why, <laughs> this is why I brought you oh. on the podcast to bring everything oh, remember, like that. Up. <laughs> remember me talking about greatest wife ever?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this vessel was a cup that I bought for Gavin. We knew it was bullshit. I love crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is like people's raw ambition and then everybody just kind of dumps money into it. And this was a cup that when you poured a fluid into it, it would a- analyze the fluid and tell you what was in it. Oh, that sounds break awesome. it, break it down like sugar. Yeah, exactly. And they had this, of course, totally conceptual video that went along with their money. Oh, past it was
2: brilliant campaign.
3: video. Yeah.
0: But and it, of course, four years later, they just shut down. And they,
2: well, and, they and, never And, and, made and I'm the sure company. there's all kinds of legalese and all of those. Where it's like, you are giving away money. Let's be very clear.
0: Mm-hmm? And maybe you'll get something. Thank you.
4: Yeah, Kickstarter updated all of their legalese. It's like we're not responsible for any of this. By the way.
0: Yeah, they. they you can't sue. The crowdfunding platforms, but now you can apparently sue the people who have the campaigns. Really? That's a, that's a change that has happened over time, yeah. That's why. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm suddenly
2: rethinking all kinds of business strategies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kickstart a movie that I'm
0: definitely gonna make. <laughs> well, that's the thing, it's like an artistic endeavor, I mean, that is to me the part of crowdfunding is you want to see this thing get made. And then part of that is kind of like a social contract of, guess what, it might not get made, might not happen. Even if they meet their financial goal, it might not happen.
2: You know, and it's interesting because the obligation, theoretically the obligation is to make the thing that you promise. But um, uh, back in the 1990s, Michael Robertson, founder of mp3.com, uh, projected uh, or, or predicted the rise of the middle-class rock star. He said digital distribution is going to make it possible for you to make decent money, not crazy money. How do you know money. all these people? I don't know anyone, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I just hey, know Jeff and Gus, and that's it. <laughs> but, but but I think what we're seeing 20 years later is the rise of the middle-class patron, where where people, yes they, uh, yes, they want the thing to be made, but what they're really doing is they're purchasing that awesome feeling of knowing that I am supporting independent artists, mm. and I'm making something, and that when it comes out I can say I have a hand in doing that. That's my name in the credits and all that stuff. And it used to be that was the land of you know people who are buying museums with their millions of dollars or whatever. And now you know you can do it for a dollar a month on Patreon or what have you.
0: Yeah, the uh, it's funny what I like what people are using crowdfunding for. There's a uh, a group uh, called Adopt a Chateau, but it's in French because it's in France. And they're going around and what's the crowd- French word for chateau? Chateau. Adopt- right. chateau. Okay. <laughs> Un chateau. <laughs> Un chateau. The, uh, <laughs> they are. Uh, they're crowdfunding, like getting some of these dilapidated castles and and chateaus, and then crowdfunding them. And the the dream is now you can own a portion of a chateau in
2: France. <laughs> this is too close. You
4: realize Do you need like timeshare? Uh,
0: yeah.
4: Would you timeshare a castle?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you have to show up in full armor, but yeah. It's
1: it's <laughs> I I have a thing like that where I actually uh, uh I I'm a scotch drinker, uh, a heavy scotch drinker at times. And occasionally I buy Lefroig. Ah, oh, every, boy. Every bottle of 18-year-old Laphroaig comes with a free uh, one-foot-by-one-foot one plot of land. Uh, like Is that deed. true? Yeah, it comes with a deed to a one foot by one foot plot of land in in uh, Scotland.
0: You get like twelve of those. You get your seven friends back so, together. Yeah, I've no, bought enough. <laughs>
1: I've apparently bought enough scotch that I can pitch a tent somewhere <laughs>
0: um, and be like, "Get off of my land!" Lafroig uh, is brutal, dude. It's
1: well, as my wife says, it's like drinking band liquid band aids.
0: Okay, I had a guy in specs ruin. Uh these, what these islay scotches Ilai, uh, yeah yeah is that what it is what yeah, yeah. Oh, man <laughs>
1: oh do i know my Islay's, my friend
0: yeah it's it, 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 i liked them i had tried lagavulin and i enjoyed it Yep. uh and then i was working my way up to LaFroy, but that is it's hardcore i yeah, think it's, you it's, had me do some isn't playing lephroyg yeah. i
4: told you that i uh enjoyed scotch and you were like here's some I can fix that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah now
1: I don't really. But drink a guy expect was, uh, well, was talking uh, to other customers. To said my the friend thing. Wait 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 let's
2: wait. wait oh, oh, okay, okay. I, I I didn't realize that you were on the Scotch whiskey train. Uh, are you familiar with the Whiskey Vault uh, right here in Austin, Texas? No. Uh, uh, wizard Academy is a is a business I, that academy. I, I
0: went out there at your recommendation. Ash and I drove out to this Wizard Tower. Yes. Out in Central Texas. All they
4: did was that was Brian. Sell, that told me about they it. were selling some crystals and. We oh stopped, no no! no. That, we stopped on our that, way back. That's in the uh, gift shop
2: for people who are getting free weddings, right? So so that's yes. like where we went. Yeah. So, that's so where they, we ended they, up. they do over a thousand weddings. Uh, 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 a venue, is a beautiful venue if you want to go get a free wedding. It's like a wizard tower, but the wizard tower is where the business academy is. That's where they bring in like world class teachers and stuff, and. They, they they have started a Whiskey Sommelier program. You
0: guys and, found that fast. That was uh, impressive. It is
2: nice job, amazing. Ra-Cast. They've got a secret vault behind a, 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 a library. Uh, you pull back some library books and you get inside and there are hundreds of whiskeys. And it's a three-day program to become a Whiskey Sommelier. And the dude is not messing around. Like, like you have to take a test at the end and be able to identify like uh, this is definitely the Canadian. This is definitely the Japanese. This is definitely the, uh, uh, the Irish. You learn all the background on how, how all this stuff is made. They they have a, a couple of video series, uh uh youtube.com slash whiskey vault and their new one is uh uh whiskey biscuits, you can find it. But you would love these guys.
0: Oh what man, I gotta get you out. Something
4: there. Like that. I you know, I I'm, I'm you know, I'm
0: pretty basic. It's I'll drink Jim Beam and then also drink Lafroy. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. just Okay, not, well, that, we, not that Jim Beam is a Scotch. When you, to, when
2: you get to experience the tour of Scotland that Daniel Whittington does, he gets up there with a map of Scotland. And and the fact that he's pointing to these different areas and he points out that the peat is, you know, like you are tasting the actual earth of that region. It tastes like peat moss. Uh, yes. It's yeah. a, it's amazing. Oh, highly recommended. Highly recommended.
1: Yeah, see, I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm up. on the 20-year version of that <laughs> where I just go bottle by bottle uh, uh, and I'm slowly touring the world and it's great.
0: We had a lot of fun. Uh, where did we go? Melbourne was that where we were. Yes. We're, we took Ellie, my assistant, out, uh, and she was 25, and so we got her a whiskey that was as old as she was. Oh wow! And tried it. She did not enjoy it at all. <laughs> I don't well, think. it
1: depends on. It depends. The, the thing is, is that once you get past 21, um, whiskeys become kind of weird, and sometimes certain <laughs> so whiskeys. people. So, yes. Well, they start voting. Not true. <laughs> what's, what's, what's like, <laughs> Too true. They, they, like whiskeys that I love. Like after 21, they start like. Going in a direction where it's like, oh, I don't, I don't like this. I actually like it younger. Um, uh, look, exactly look, <laughs> look I don't I like people. Look, I'm just saying. Second I, quote I on his tombstone. I, I don't put anything in my mouth that's younger than 18. That is What I'm saying, yeah, uh, it holds true with people in scotch.
0: Uh, but, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see your tombstone. It's going to be. 35 quotes. Yeah. It's
2: just, it's just a rolling. Someone uh, bunch might of possibly weeks. love
0: him. And he liked it younger. <laughs> here lies Robert C. Cargill. Yeah. <laughs> Robert no, C. Cargill. What does C stand for? Uh, Chris. Chris Robert Cargill. Why did I uh, not go by C. Cargill?
1: Well, I mean, I went to, uh, I went to Judson here in uh, Texas, which is the second largest, at the time, was the second largest high school in Texas. 3,200 kids went to this school. Uh, which was a high school. And yeah. so there were 1,250 freshmen in my freshman year. Um, and so what that meant was the group of misfits and outcasts uh, that you'd have at any school that would be three or four kids strong, there were 30 of us. yeah, And so, you know, it was... You unionized. You
4: we started well, <laughs> well,
1: But that's the thing is that what was weird about it was, you know, it was normally you would be something of a social misfit at your high school yeah. being into these certain things. But there were so many of us that we instead got properly socialized while being nerds. And so, but there were four kids in that group named Chris. And so people would be, you know, my close friends, the people who would take a bullet for me would be like, hey, Chris Cargill, hey, Chris Rogers, hey, Chris McCoy. Like they would just be, hey, Chris. Yep. And, and you hear your full name so often you just get to the point where you're like, you know dude, just call me Cargill. I've, like, I am I'm I've come from a military family, hearing the last name is fine, just call me Cargill. And it stuck, and I got introduced to my wife that way, I got introduced to all my close friends that way, there's literally three people on the planet who aren't my parents who call me Chris, because they remember meeting me early freshman year, uh, and it just stuck.
0: Same, same, yeah. same way I got my name. Because there's so many yeah. Mikes, yeah. you know, and there was a Mike, a Mikey, a Michael, and a Mickey. So they're like, what's what? your last name? I said, Burns. They go, we'll call you Bernie. I'm like, that'll never stick. And here in America,
1: here in America, you can be Chris, you can be Christopher, or you can be really pretentious and go with Topher. And and so that wasn't going to happen. I didn't find out until just a few years ago. I could have been Kit. And uh. it could have been Kit Cargill. Kit and Cargill's like, pretty
2: good, dude. That's that's a it's fucking writer name. Hashtag Kit Cargill. Uh, Bring it I don't back, know,
1: dude. There's so much gray in this beard. I think it's too late. to... No, to, sir. I, there just are
4: change it Kit on Cargill. Take over.
1: There actually are a few British uh, people in the in the author community who jokingly refer to me as Kit. In fact, uh, uh, I was just at a wedding of a writer, and he put Kit Cargill as my uh, uh, for uh, at my seat.
2: Never gonna
0: call you anything. We a, a gentleman kid. that works here in our art department. He's uh, works in our blacksmithing department. Just a lot of different stuff. But I, I love that you have, a, blacksmith, have a blacksmithing so really department. Awesome. That's why yes. I mentioned it specifically. But his name is Kit kasati Did he,
4: did he make the forge? We yes. have we have a whole custom made forge.
0: He, he made an item which I'm I don't know I'm
4: what to do with it Pretty but sure find something with a
0: forge it's yeah. not OSHA uh, you compliant you forge
1: rings and then you give them to everyone so you can control them <laughs> like this is they run a whole series of books about it you <laughs> might have heard of them
2: I want you to know that I just spent the last 30 seconds trying to imagine a cooler department than a blacksmith to brag about having and I and I didn't
0: I, yeah, yeah this, no I, I, I couldn't I, beat it it's not an actual department they just kind of have the tools there but it's in a section of stage 2 so like I'm always pointing to it when we do tours going and that's where the blacksmithing forges. There's so. the black,
1: this is our blacksmith forge and the only thing cooler than that here is the puppy wrangling pit <laughs> where you can go and roll around with puppies before you go on the air. It's
0: officially a ranch that we have, <laughs> puppy ranch. The uh but Now the, that just that just sounds like something that would be in Las Vegas and involve pos- prostitution. One of the coolest <laughs> things with Fringe Benefit is and I totally took advantage of this uh was they're also in that department super obsessive about sharpening things, sharpening knives. So I brought in some of my knives uh, to have them sharpened and now they're like it's like having razor blades with handles in my house is what it's like. It's amazing
2: I mean, Is there a point where you get like uh, too sharp?
0: It is because you know it's too sharp when you cut yourself and don't feel it. Yeah, that's scary And then all of a sudden you're just where's all this blood coming from? It's like oh, I cut my finger at some point You need to stop cutting it. yourself Yeah, I got seven stitches in my finger. Wait a minute. Are we both in the Seven Stitches Club? Yeah, and I got my index finger on my dominant hand. I I, I held a drone uh, away from my kids. I remember this. And I said, I said, hey uh, uh, Bonnie, turn off
2: this drone because I don't like like the kids are getting too close to it. Not realizing that drones, when they get shut off, go into landing Ooh. mode. So as I held it, I watched. Uh, uh, lawnmower blades come in and just what? chop apart my, yeah, if you go to, if you go to, uh, Instagram.com slash Scam School Brian, scroll back to Christmas Eve of last year, it, uh, it, it's a gnarly
3: beast
1: Oh, why right did you, why did you just fucking do that, Brian? I, I saw that. I have that image burned into my head, and you know somebody in the back room is bringing that up any second now. you got goddamn 500,000
2: right. people are going to see <laughs> yeah. your
1: fucked up uh, finger. That wor- is
2: not cool, The dude. worst part was in the middle of all the chopping of my hand, it knocked some skin in there. So even after everything healed, like I guess when, when skin gets knocked in... Where skin doesn't belong, skin is getting <laughs> nutrients, and knit, skin's like, hey, man, I guess I'm supposed to keep growing, I'm skin. And meanwhile, everything on the inside is just like, whoa, 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 who the fuck are you? Who let you in? Uh, they're like, seal them up, boys. is our everything. And so, so then I, I, I had to get another, like, I don't know, I'm still doing scar management. I used to worry about having pretty hands and being a magician. I don't worry about that anymore. Please. Well, since
0: Wait, you oh, this. I just heard. Oh, like oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I heard that. <laughs> wow! Did you look it up? Right? You don't yep. have to put it on screen. Yeah, so. yeah, please, please don't. Yeah, oh, there it is. Oh, for the yeah, love of so. Christ, no! Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. You know, the stitching is bad. The hard part for me was on my finger. Was when they cleaned it. That me. was rough. That was a rough time.
2: Uh, when I was in the ER. Uh, I'm, I'm of course of sound mind, and I'm saying like, hi. I'm a magician. I'm really worried about the the range of motion on my hands and the sensitivity at the end of my <laughs> fingers. Uh, uh, if you could just let me know, and then and the response was like, uh, oh no no no, your tenders are fine.
0: Look. Oh. <laughs> and I was uh, that was a much. It's it was, so funny that you said that though, because when I went in for LASIK, that's what I said. I said, well, I'm thinking about doing one eye, and then coming in later and doing another eye. I said because I'm a filmmaker and my eyes are very important in my work. Doctor said, let me let you know a secret. Eyes are important to everybody's work. (laughs) It's like (laughs) you're not special because you work in film. You know, it's like, I need my hands for my magician work. It's like, well... Lots of people need their <laughs> hands to do their work, as it turns out. So Touché. Since you mentioned it, your uh, social media presence, where can we find you guys?
2: Uh, dude, at Schwood on Twitter. I'm fairly chatty right there. As a matter of fact, I tell people all the time, like like my email box, I still have like 2,000 important and unread emails, and yet I respond to every single tweet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. But definitely check out The Modern Rogue at YouTube.com slash Modern Rogue. Filmed
0: right here in Austin, Texas. That's typically. right.
2: And and hopefully we're, we're in the middle. I, I don't know. We got a few days to screw up the deal but we're trying to buy seven and a half acres so we could build a Monorogue World Headquarters. Oh, that'd be awesome. And start... Uh, uh, you could have your own wizard tower. Yes, that's exactly... I That same drone that chopped up my hand went out, and I was like, what's it going to look like 30 feet up? Yeah, all right, I can deal with this. So we'll
1: see. Cargo, how about you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and uh,
0: Instagram, at MassaWorm, uh,
1: W-Y-R-M.
0: It's funny, I remember this for after all these years, because... Getting it's, our getting our movie reviewed by you was so important to it's, us. It's
1: the, and literally, like it was important to you. And I was a 25 year old video store clerk. Like, yeah. this is the, it, the world is just a weird fucking place, dude.
0: Well, we spent so much time. I always say the independent film world back then was it was you would make spend a year making something, you'd make a movie, and then you try to get an independent film festival, which essentially was the process of trying to convince about six people to let you show your movie to about 200 people. The gatekeepers, yeah. and that's how it worked. And it's like, and you just hope the right. One, maybe one person out of the two hundred who watched it in the theater, that would be the person who changes your life. And then while we were in the middle of that process, we started putting videos online. They started going everywhere. It's like, why are we doing this other thing? let's let's just do this instead. But I also we haven't mentioned yet C of Russ, you were nominated for a Clark Award, yeah, one the of the Arthur C. C Clark, Clark Award.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, fun fact. first book nominated for the Arthur C. Clark Award with the words Robot Dong. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Also, also true. Yes. Uh yeah, no, it's
1: uh it, it was a it's a very uh it was a passion project book. It was one that I pitched for years to people, and and I they were like, "Well, what's it about?" Well, it's a post apocalyptic robot
2: western. Uh, dude, no, no, I, I, you're telling it wrong. Let me tell you, as somebody who loves it. Uh, it's great. It's great. Uh, the robots won, and humans are irrelevant, and they're a, a far back, distant memory. I can and, see it. And it's 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 people uh, fighting over the bones of civilization. It's it's uh, it, and and you think of them as people, even though they're all all artificially intelligent machines. I, I right before we went live. I confess to to Cargill that, you know, a lot of books don't stick and kind of haunt me, but the world of Sea of Rust definitely, definitely does. Well deserved on the uh, award oh, thank nom. You, dude.
0: Thank you. And you have a new book coming out, We Are Where the Nightmares Go and Other Stories by C. Robert Cargill. C. Robert Cargill. We don't seems, fuck around that with that seems it. Backwards. So, we don't fuck no, no, no. No, that's the way that's the way it is. Pretty soon it'll just be Cargill. That's – at this point in your life, you could just go straight to the one moniker. Well, that's what people who know me call me, which
1: is what's great uh, because that's how I can always tell, like, in a business email or something if I really know someone or not because they'll be like, oh, Robert. And I'm like, we've never met.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to out you on this. Uh, Uh uh, Cargill confessed that that's that's where the Beyonce joke in – uh, in Doctor Strange came from that is exactly where really? that comes it, from. like like that's some of his material is he's, he's like who are you? I'm Cargill and like oh like Cher Madonna Cargill and then that's that's how How that moment that showed up in time. the movie?
1: Yeah all the time and we were trying to find something for Wong and uh, uh, Wong in Marvel comics is just called Wong he has no last yep. name and uh, and so Scott and I were trying to find something that would really kind of work for him and could be funny because You know, this is these these are Marvel movies. They're family movies. They're they're supposed to be fun. As much as there's a lot of heavy stuff that goes on, you have to laugh. You have to have a good time. And so we're like, we need something here. And I was like, well, you know, I have this thing that happens to me all the fucking time. And and I told Scott and he about fell out of his chair. He's like, people really do that to you. I'm like, literally once a week. This happens where someone's like, oh, because uh, you meet people and like, oh, hi, I'm Cargill. Oh, that's an interesting name. Cargill what? Oh, you just call me Cargill. Oh, what? Like Cher? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Like Prince? Um, And people, uh, uh, millions of times people have referred to me as the artist formerly known as Cargill. Uh, like, and so I thought that was Uh, I thought that might work, and Scott just thought it was so fucking funny that it stuck, and so all the Beyonce stuff, all the stuff in
0: Doctor Strange about that,
1: that's just all about my name.
0: After writing Doctor Strange for the standalone movie, was it weird to see that character written by someone else for uh, Infinity War? Very, very.
1: Like, seeing Doctor Strange wasn't so much. Seeing Wong, because Wong was a very personal character for me. I've always been a big fan of Wong. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of of the Doctor Strange comic, and I have been yeah. since I was a kid. When I was 13, I daydreamed about getting to write a Doctor Strange movie, and lived my whole life going, "No one's ever going to let me do that." And so when I, I go-
0: never thought anyone would make a Doctor Strange movie. Period. I
1: I didn't either, but uh, um, you know, they they tried a couple of times. They had a TV movie. They uh uh, there was a uh, attempt by Charles Band to make one. He lost the rights, renamed it. It's called Doctor Mordred. It's delightfully terrible. Uh, but so I get a call from Scott one night and he's like, Hey man, you know, um, there's a company that wants us to make a superhero movie. And I'm like, Scott, what, what superhero are we right for? Honestly? And he goes, Dr. Strange. And I'm like, fuck, that's the one I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm in, I'll do this. And, uh, but Wong was always a great, uh, So okay.
0: they said Iron Man, and you have been like, fuck off.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> Iron Man, especially at that point, they had. They had done so much with Iron Man. We weren't right for Iron Man. The type right. of story th- that we like to tell wasn't right for that. Um, you know, writers kind of pick a niche and and kind of have their their thing that they do. Not necessarily genre, sure. but yeah. you know, Scott and I like doing uh, terrifying things. We like dealing with you know big ideas. We like philosophy. We're we're both huge philosophy nerds, and so you know certain like if if they had called up and said we want you to do a Batman movie, I'd be like, we're not right for Batman. Like, I love Batman, but I i mean, the Batman story I'd want to write is not the type of thing you'd want to do, like... Spider-Man? Well, maybe if we played around with Mysterio and made it really creepy. Which, by the way, I
0: was amazed yeah. that Mysterio is going to be potentially the next villain. We've
2: I, been asking for that for 20 years. It's about time. I, that... I, I, I've been asking not for that, but after <laughs> them na- <laughs> knocking it out of the park with the Vulture. Yeah. The, the Vulture was the most cartoonish uh, villain of all time and all of a sudden, best, best villain He's in great. the history. I, I'm
0: still holding out for a great rendition of uh, Mr. Mixoplick. <laughs> uh, no. Never! <laughs> so many of those like old like Silver Age, Golden Age villains are just like you can't touch him, but apparently, you know. Honestly, you, are you looking
1: forward to the Batmite movie? Is that what's happening
0: next? Well, I always felt that way about the Joker. It's like if if you can accept the Joker, who's basically an evil clown character, mm-hmm. and everyone he's a beloved villain. If you can suspend your disbelief that this like silly jokester villain clown character is evil and scary, then you should be able to suspend it for just about anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but the uh, the the thing with Wong, what I found. Uh, <laughs> Going back to that initial question, uh, the thing that I find so fascinating is that what's amazing about Wong is he's what grounds Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange is this guy who spends all this time in this weird cartoonish world. Like yeah. he, he'll just go out and be gone for seven minutes and really he's been in this dimension for two years and he comes back with this huge beard and he's been dealing with nightmarish things in in you know worlds of non-Euclidean geometry and there's Wong bringing him back and he is the grounding um the thing uh, uh grounding this this character and bringing him back to humanity and he's his connection and so i've always been fascinated by this guy yeah. so I was like we have to get him right and especially since he had such a complicated history because he started out you know as a manservant and uh you know in in an era where harkening back to oh yeah he had a chinese manservant oh, right. was yeah. Oh, that's an acceptable part of storytelling, and now it's really not. And how do you, how do you correct that injustice and get the character right at the same time? And so that was like one of my big focuses. So being able to humanize them with that, that uh, you know, that Wong. Uh, element was a, a, a big thing. <laughs>
2: all right, so I, I got a question, and you might have to rec- recuse yourself on this, Cargill, because you may know something that I don't I know. recuse myself of and, everything. And everybody else may not even know what I'm talking about, but in an age where they managed to pull off the Avengers, where they managed to pull off uh, uh, Infinity War and all this stuff, um, is it is it possible that we could see – uh, the Secret Wars too, Beyonder trying to figure out what it means to be a human. Thing well, the first one, right? Uh, well, the first one was the Beyonder like like give me all your heroes Come and to fight. Become, you yeah. Know, yeah, go fight. But then Secret Wars too is like I don't know, you guys seem cool. Let me try to be a human. So so weird. <laughs> it's yeah. so I've
0: bad, never wonderful. I
1: can honestly say I've never heard the word Beyonder spoken
0: anywhere near Marvel Studios. I would Studios. love it so much. Well, they changed amazing. a lot of the stuff the the motivations in Infinity War. Like, yeah. Thanos, is, they, they made him a little more mainstream. The Beyonder, I, I, I've i heard that they want to try to do Secret Wars, but I think if they're going to do Secret Wars, they're going to do uh, the one where they just put everyone together and they'll fight. They really, yeah. they
1: really did change the nature of Thanos in Infinity War, because mm-hmm. originally his motivation was, I am in love with death, death. Yep. and I want to get her attention, and so I'm going to kill half the universe. Yes. And that is I, I
0: thought they changed honestly for if for an adapt- adaptation to a mainstream movie. I thought they did a great job. I think by the end of that movie, there's a lot of people who are sympathetic to Thanos and everything he goes well, through.
2: Yeah, he's he's the only character with an arc. He's the protagonist. Yeah, uh, we, we, we he's the only one who. Well, because grows it is his movie. Yeah. That's the point.
1: I mean, that when you get 38 characters from across you know 18 different movies, of course you have to you know there's not going to be a lot of character development in there. Anyone who has a complaint about. Character development in a crossover movie. doesn't know what the fuck a crossover movie is, <laughs> and what the point is. The point is seeing them all together and and doing what they do. And so Thanos is the one character that does get really great. Uh, so uh, I, I did have
2: I did have a, 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 for the first time in maybe thirty years, uh, uh, Infinity War was the first movie I saw three times in the same week the the mo- week it came out, and uh, I loved it. And the first time, you know, you can't control when you got to go pee, and you just sort of do your best guess and you leave, and then you come back, and you're like, you have no what control over that.
0: Some of us can control
2: it. Okay, not if you're drinking. <laughs> Impulsively, like one three, a, little on movie this podcast a little bit
0: longer. Yeah, exactly
2: right. Uh, and then uh, second time is I like going to need to replace that <laughs> chair. You definitely stick around for the parts you missed on the uh, the, the the third one. Yeah. But the third time when I was taking uh, my kids, uh, I realized. Oh, Captain America's on screen good time to go pee like he does not have one good scene in that entire movie and his shield is garbage And and there's no good writing in there I, everything I, you said was wrong That's uh, I yeah.
4: will agree that I wasn't a huge fan of the shield change the two Two shields?
2: Nah. I, I, I missed his shield. But also, he had no—he had no good. He—he uh, he felt extraneous, and he didn't have any good lines. And he's a great character. He's—he's—he's he's, he's the heart of the Avengers, and and and, uh, and of the Marvel I'm gonna, gonna prove you wrong you right here. Shield,
1: okay, go. For I'm it. gonna prove you wrong right here. That shield is dumb. It's a dumb shield. I am Groot. <laughs> I am Steve Rogers.
4: That was a Fuck lovely you, line. I day. win. Okay, no, no, no. Mic drop. Was, It was so genuine was and heartfelt huge. and just very polite. Yeah.
0: It, was, yeah, it yeah. was so, it was Also, so. the Thor beard moment was nice, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: No, there's, there's, there are
2: great moments. I think the moment between
0: you him and Josh. You guys don't understand
2: how satisfying this leak I took,
0: though. I mean, it was really, it was really good. All right, well, in that sense, yeah, Captain America glad, was terrible. I'm her. glad the leak was amazing,
1: but fucking Steve Rogers rocks.
0: I will say, though, Infinity War, going back to what you were saying, My favorite line in the whole thing is a Wong line, and he doesn't have that many. But it's like right at the beginning. It's a really great scene at the beginning when they're in the. Am I gonna get this wrong? The sanctum, the yeah, sanctum
1: sanctorum. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite typo of all time that I've dealt with is one time uh, Scott sent me a draft that said the sanctum Santorum.
0: <laughs> Santorum? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I, I, there's I, there's two very different uh, interpretations. That's yes, that exactly sure. what happened in my head. Was I was like, oh, this is where uh, Rick Santorum hangs out, and then it's like, oh wait, no, there's this that is other, the meaning. other thing. <laughs> uh, but
0: Wong's line is great when they're coming down the stairs and. It's it just seems like the it almost seems melt. like they're playing with the manservant thing a little bit because Strange is going to go out and get him food. And he just says, he just says very matter of factly, I wouldn't say no to a tuna melt. Yeah. I don't know, I connected with that line uh, just somehow. It's just like, I love this character. And also I love the, that, not to spoil anything in Infinity War, but there's a moment where Wong's like, yeah, I'm out. And he's just like, I'm fucking off. <laughs> yeah. I can't do anything about this, so I'm going to go back and just watch the Sanctum because that's my job. <laughs> you so might as I- well have said, have you seen how many characters there are in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> there's no room for me. <laughs> All right, well thanks guys for coming on the podcast for, for Memorial Day. Man. Any big plans for Memorial Day? Uh oh, we Which did. Is a- today. Did you just today? I, I, hey, hi got being on our podcast. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, today. Today we did a cookout um uh, on on the Modern Rogue <laughs> Um some uh, we 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 melted uh, a pig's body. What? Uh, yeah, I, I, you seem breaking bad. We wanted to test to see if that's possible. With acid? Like or d- no d- acids are more tightly regulated but it turns out lies pretty regularly acceptable but also don't use an aluminum pot because it generates a bunch of hydrogen gas that explodes.
0: Um I guess people should go see that. Right. Why do you? Why do you always have to break things?
2: It's, 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 it, because we're not good. We're not smart. People all the time are are, are like, pig. like, like <laughs> people are always like 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 you guys don't know anything, and they're like, yeah, that's the point. We're trying to figure it out. We're not saying we're experts. We're trying to become experts, and so uh, and it, it scares me sometimes because you're the guys that I drink with.
1: I feel like at some point. One of you is going to die with your final words being, hey, Cargill, watch this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Put that,
2: say, I'll have a much smaller tombstone next
1: to yours. It, I, it, won't have many, it won't have as many
0: name-dropping epitaphs. But, here, uh, you're going to have a here-hold-my-hydrogen moment. Yeah, yes, and then you'll exactly. Be dead. Well, it's funny, though, when you say that, because, like, science channels on the internet, you do think when you watch them, this person knows everything. But scientists are just a bunch of people who don't know something, but they have a good feeling about something, so they're gonna give it a shot and try well, to and, and figure it out. And unfortunately,
2: all the scientists, they don't have to deal with commenters to be like, You guys should have watched this other channel. I'm like, yeah, those guys know what they're doing. Fuck off.
0: I it's- did a- I did a clip uh, for my vlog. I'm, I'm learning to be a pilot. I'm getting certified as a pilot. And, uh, the aviation school, when they found out I was gonna film, they are like, man... If you put anything regarding aviation online, it's just going to be like, you're going to have a bunch of armchair pilots telling you how you got everything wrong, everything like that. So I, like, made that whole section of it just silent and just stayed away from it. But that's just the nature of the PC. Well, going all the way back to talkbackers on Any Cool News. Oh, God. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's, that's the, uh, we built a PC, and of course everybody had their thing that they were like, oh, yeah. so much cringe. No. We, we shot a gun. Ah, so much cringe. Everything's
1: but You're wrong. not supposed to shoot it this way, motherfucker. Like, seriously, you are oh, trying no, it's to, cause, it's cause like, like, I'm going to be like, TV. I'm in a Music video,
0: yeah. All right, Cargo. Where, c- where can people get the book, and when will they be able to get it?
1: Oh, uh, June twelfth is "We Are Where the Nightmares Go." Uh, it comes out. Uh, "Sea of Rust" is out now. Wherever you buy books uh, in audio or in uh, uh, ebook or physical book, uh, and I will be on tour with it. I'm going to be here in Austin, uh, June eleventh. Then uh, uh, that's, we're that's
4: not a lot of a tour. That's like
1: well, that's she... the beginning.
0: <laughs> that's the... <laughs> you kind of stopped him in the Are middle you? of the discussion. <laughs>
1: No, no, it's not much of a tour. Uh, and then I'm going to Boston and I'll be uh, doing a reading that with is. Joe Hill. Uh, and then uh, I will be that that weekend. I'll be that next weekend. I'll be at Denver Comic-Con. Uh, so if you're in Denver, I'll be around all weekend with my podcast and and talking movies. And then the week after that, I'm going to be at Sin Apocalypse in Chicago. Where me and Scott Derrickson will be the co-presidents of the uh, the board of Sin Apocalypse, and we'll be showing uh, a lot of very cool movies, some of which I've seen on the circuit this year, and uh, lots of really really great indie horror and action that's going to be played there. It's going to be a lot of fun, and then I get to come back home. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to be part. so you can catch me on the road in any of those cities, and uh,
0: and yeah. All right, well, we want to thank our guests, Massa Worm and Shwood, for joining us here on the It
2: does sound like a morning radio team.
1: <laughs> Massa Worm and Shwood. Yeah.
0: Special Memorial Day podcast, and stick around for the post-show if you're a first member, uh, where Ashley will be telling me how she's going to support me for a year financially while I go pursue some dream. Nice. I got this. Bye, everybody.